everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Ben. You guys did an excellent job this morning. Before I start, just want to say, hey, Nathan, happy birthday, dude. You're the best. Um, if you haven't seen him, he's the guy that towers over everybody. Um, wish him a happy birthday. Um, congratulations on turning 13, dude. You're the best. Um, anyways, guys, uh, <laughs> uh, quickly here uh, as we go through this uh, Ten Commandments stuff, um, the, the cheat code here that we've created um, I do want to recap this before we get into our lesson today, uh, just to make sure we're all on the same page if this is your first time. Congratulations, you get to hear this and learn, perhaps hear how to remember the Ten Commandments in their correct order. So we're going to fly through this, we've been through this every single week, we're going to do it again and we're going to do it two more times. Every time, the last one, I'm going to ask one individual to do it and maybe you might get a prize, but... I'll have that one person do it by themselves. This time we're doing it all together. Number one. What is number one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Both of those are correct. If you use the, the, the slang version to figure it out, that's okay. So long as you remember that there shall be no other gods before me. Right? How we do that with number one is that God is number one. He is right here, number one in our lives. That's the position that he holds. And as we've already talked and discussed, he's the only one worthy of that position, right? Nothing else deserves even that position. Um, nothing or even another person. We're all imperfect. We fall short. Nothing fulfills us like only God can. He's number one. Number two, what is number two? You shall not make idols. Now, again, we get to number two because this somewhat looks like a person on their knees, kneeling, bowing in some way to something. What do you usually bow to and worship? Perhaps an idol. No bueno. No bueno. Eh, 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 right here. No, no idols, right? You shall make no idols. All right? That's number two. Uh, number three, what is number three? Anybody remember that? Should not take the Lord's name in vain. Why is that? Well, here we go. Boom. Put a line right there. It becomes a letter B. Blasphemy is the word we're thinking of here. Blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is, in fact, taking the Lord's name in vain. A little caveat if you were here for the lesson. Uh, last week we talked about these first three and here, when I want you to think of blasphemy, I want you to think of taking the Lord's name in vain. Of course, that's pretty, that's pretty uh, I guess, straightforward, right? Saying his name in vain, jokingly even. Um, saying it without that level of reverence. But also, a way that this goes unnoticed or even forgotten, number three, taking the Lord's name in vain. As Christians, when we call ourselves believers, it's not just taking his name in vain in the way that we speak, but also in the way we act. If we call ourselves believers, followers of Jesus, does your life actually look like that? Is your life actually a reflection of that? Do you, similar to taking your father's last name, right? 
when, you, when that name becomes your own, when his name, when you take in that, when you've placed your trust in him, does your life reflect that? Does your life look like what God calls you to? Don't take his name in vain. That's number three. Number four, number four is this right here. What is that? There we go. I love the thought process. I can hear the, the gears turning, right? Somebody said chair. You're like, well, that's not a chair. Well, it is, right? So if you flip it upside down, it becomes a chair. What do you do when you sit on a chair? You rest. And what is the day that is known for rest? It is the Sabbath. Little caveat, keep it holy. Set apart. We talked about that word last week. That's what makes God the only one worthy of being number one. He is holy. He is set apart. He's different than you and I. So keep the Sabbath holy. Not only observe it, but keep it holy, as the command says. So again, remember the Sabbath. That's one of the ones we'll talk about today. Next one we'll talk about today, the two that we'll talk about. Number five, you're asking, well, why you draw fives weird. This is to help you with the illustration. Number five, what is number five? Honor your father and mother. Um, it's a pregnant uh, belly. Um, I got this as inspiration from my lovely wife, as we are expecting here in two months our first child. So, um, uh, yeah, every, uh, I want to find an opportunity to throw that in there every chance I get. I did it. I did it. Uh, listen, number six. Number six. Um, what, is, what is a little saying that goes along with this? Six feet under. What does it mean to be six feet under? It means to be dead. Right? Number six, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Right? That makes, it's very, that one might be the most logical one. And it's good that that comes right before this one. <laughs> because this is the most illogical, perhaps. the mo <laughs> But it looks like an A, somehow. I don't know, something you flip. Turn your head, find a way to think of an A when you think of the number seven. I don't know how you're going to do that, but you get there. If you can think of the letter A when you think of the number seven, you'll think of the word that begins with an A, and it's adultery. Adultery, do not commit adultery. Number eight, this one is a pretty straightforward and easy one. Two S's back to back makes the number eight. I think of this little drawing I did growing up in school all the time. It's an S, but it looks like an eight. An eight that is created of S's. Why S? Because S is the, again, the big letter here for the key word steal. Do not steal. Right? Do not steal. Number nine, again, another stretch. I don't know how you're going to think of this. Uh, if this is the first time hearing it, I'm, I apologize. But this, we've surmised, is a microphone. Whether you believe it or not, that is a microphone. The number nine is a microphone. What do you do with the microphone? You speak into it, right? One of the things that you do when you speak is potentially lie. And number nine is do not bear false witnesses. Um, do not bear false witnesses against your neighbor. You cannot, uh, you cannot lie, essentially, but... That is what you think of when you think of the number nine. And lastly, number 10, this is another straightforward one, 10. When something is 10 out of 10, it's usually perfect. And usually you want these kinds of things, right? You want something that's 10 out of 10. Sometimes even in a, in a bad way, you are jealous of it. You become spiteful or bitter you don't have it. You begin to covet. You covet 
what is 10 out of 10. You are desiring it wrongly. So do not covet is number 10. You shall not covet. All right? All right. Remember that, study that. Hopefully it sticks in your mind um, for, <laughs> I guess, for silliness, whatever it is. So long as it stays there, that's all I need. Um, today we're going to be talking about four and five. Um, four and five. Um, again, does anybody remember what commandment number four is without the little picture? Oh, perfect. It's on the screen already. I forgot. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Um, and also honor your father and mother. So the questions for today is, I guess, essentially the, um, the, the topic of conversation is what does God require for these two commandments, right? The fourth and the fifth commandment. Um, in short, here are kind of just some straightforward um, things that we'll talk about, kind of just set the tone for what we'll talk about here with these commandments. But for the fourth commandment, um, God requires that on the Sabbath day we spend time in public and private worship of God, that we rest from routine employment, and we serve the Lord and others in anticipation also of, eternal, of the eternal Sabbath. Now, fifth, a fifth commandment, we love and honor our father and mother. We are required to submit to their godly discipline, submit to them their direction in obedience and love, respect. Um, before turning to scripture this morning, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 5. So if your Bibles, you want to turn there, go for it. But we're going to be reading on um, the screen as well. Before we turn there, though, I do want to just ask you this question. I have a question that I want to pose to you. How do you know a day has gone by? Anybody know how a day has gone by? Night. Yeah, no. I think somebody said it here, but... I want to hear them say it louder. Imagine you're in the middle of the forest. You don't got your fancy iPhones with you. You can't check to see what time it is. How do you know what time it is? Or how do you? All right, here we go. Melody said it. You know it's been a day when the sun goes up and the sun goes down. That's one day, right? It goes up again. We're, we're now already in the other day. It's a, a different cycle. That one's pretty easy. But I do want to just tell you again, that's not some scientific discovery, right? If you've read the Bible, and you don't have to get far into the Bible to know this, this is actually in the Bible, because it's in the first page, or the first two pages of the Bible, it's in chapter 1 of Genesis. This isn't some scientific discovery, it is biblical fact. That's how a day works, because that's how God created it to be. God created it this way. Now let me ask you a different question, it's a little bit more difficult. How do you know a month has gone by? A month. How do you know a month has gone by? Anybody know? Anybody? The moon. What about the moon, though? I know. I, I heard you. But specifically, it's the cycles of the moon. That's how you know a month has gone by. Roughly, uh, it's about like 30 days. But you start with what? Like the new moon, right? Um, and then you have one of these. You have the half. You have the half. Um, you have what? Uh, a gibbous. Right here, and then you have the full right here, and then you have, now it starts going the other way. Now it starts going the other way, right? And then once you get back here, essentially, this is a month. Um, that's the cycle of, um, of our kind of uh, set timetable. And again, God created things this way. God created all of his creation we find that in Scripture. But I think what's really cool about this, when we talk about time, we talk about the sun going up, coming down, all that stuff. 
this is awesome because even nature, even nature hints at what God's word uh, commands us to, right? His commandments, specifically this one right here, um, commandment number four. When we look at nature, it points us back to these commandments. Uh, if we look at Genesis chapter one, if anybody knows here, how many days did God create the earth in? <laughs> Wrong. The answer that I'm looking for is six. Um, number, um, the number seven is important, but God created the earth in six days, not seven. Six days. Does anybody know what he did on the seventh day? He rested. He rested. He created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, understanding why he does this, I think is important and valuable for us in pointing us in the right direction, understanding how to apply this commandment to our own lives. So before we get into Deuteronomy, let me just turn to Genesis chapter 2 real quick, kind of uh, share with you what he said or what it accounts for in the second day, uh, or not the second day, but the second chapter of Genesis for the seventh day. This is what it says in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Let me ask you this, another question. Do you think God rested on the seventh day because he was tired? This is not a trick question. No, of course not. Right? God was not tired. Um, again, remembering that God is not like you and I. Um, if I'm mistaken, I think this week, I could be wrong. Maybe most of you. I know definitely some of you. you I think you had more days off this week than you actually had school, right? Yeah, which is incredible. Congratulations. Good job. Um, so that is thanks to... Um, my man MLK, right, so his day uh, was on Monday, and then I think Wednesday some of you got the day off because it was cold, um, essentially, um, and then on Friday, I understand that, that was a lot of snow, and so you got the day off, that makes sense, um, but anyways, you guys got more days off than you actually had school this week, some of you, um, rip, those of you that are homeschooled, um, anyways, um, anyways, as I was saying, I remember being in your shoes, and typically when I got the day off, when I woke up and I got that beautiful announcement from my parents, hey, there's no school today, the first thing I'd do was say, okay, well, have a good night then. I'd go back to bed and go back to sleep. And I'm assuming that most of us, or most of you guys, with that time off, with being able to stay home, not have to go to school, a lot of you, for the most part, um, if not all of you, took the time to sleep. To rest, right? We love that. We love napping or sleeping or whatever it is. Just even sometimes just sitting and, and festering in our own like nastiness and not doing anything. Just watching TV and just being vegetables and just wasting away our day. We love doing that kind of stuff. Binge watching TV. I know, I know I'm speaking from experience, so I know what I'm saying. Listen, when Jesus came into the world, he gave us a different view on on, on this idea of rest and when it comes to God's perspective on rest. Right? When Jesus comes into the world and he is in the world now serving, um, he's now come to the earth, he's, he's now fully man, fully God. When these Jewish people 
right? They persecuted him and they, and they questioned him because they followed this, this specific law so strictly, right? They, they adhered to the Sabbath. They kept it holy and they, did, they, they made sure they had like certain laws and rules in place to not break it and make sure that they preserve the holiness of this day. When they would see Jesus work and he would do things, even on this day, on the Sabbath, they would question him and, and ask him, why? Why are you doing this? In one particular context, uh, Jesus heals a man in John chapter 5 and he, he, he heals him on the Sabbath day and they ask him, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. And this is his answer. This is his response to them. He says this, my father is working until now, and I am working. Here's a kind of a point for you guys. I think hopefully one thing that you need to take away from our lesson this morning is God is always working. God never stops working. Praise God that he does. That he's not limited like us. God is always working. He is always active. He doesn't take breaks or rests. He is always working on your behalf. However, you are not God. You and I, we need rest. You and I need rest. Uh, it's fascinating because this seven-day schedule is something that's become permanently ingrained in our culture. If you look everywhere, um, and even throughout history, people have tried to change that, perhaps. Um, you look at the attempts to make it a uh, seven-day uh, week uh, during the French Revolution, for example, that fell on its face. That attempt was not successful, and and any others haven't been successful. We've stick to this, or we're stuck to this cycle, the cycle that God had created or has created for us. And this is why businesses, organizations, even to this day, whatever organization, whatever business, whether um, they follow God, believe in God, whatever, no matter who. There's still this, this one or two days put in place for rest. They may not know what a Sabbath is. They might not know what a um, period of rest might be. And yet those things are put into place. They still adhere to the commands or the order, the natural order that God Made And that is traced back again to the beginning of time as we just saw. Now, the fourth commandment. Um, observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. If we read the entire Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have the luxury of doing that. Um, we come to see that the command to remember the Sabbath has two aspects to it. So first being the crucial practice of it. In our lives, we're commanded to have a rhythm of work and rest. This uh, being forbidden to overwork. If you look at the number seven, as we mentioned before, again, in the Hebrew um, language, right, the biblical Hebrew, the number seven is connected to this idea of fullness, of completeness, completion. God, he didn't rest on the seventh day because he needed to, because he was tired. He rested because he wanted to show us that his work was done. He wanted to lay out a um, a pattern for man to follow in terms of this structure of time, but he also wants to give us an example of the blessing that it is to rest, to rest on the seventh day. This is something that his creation experienced. When he first created it, right, he created this perfect order, and, and man was able to experience this, right, creation that was perfect, that God had designed, and yet they forfeited this rest when they sinned against God. 
At the fall of man, they forfeited this. But here, in this giving of this command, God is attempting to restore that. Right? Since that time, this has not been put into place yet. This, this idea of rest or the Sabbath. And here, eventually, when God has now freed these people, right? Having already released them from the captivity of this very oppressive empire that was the Egyptian empire. Now that these people are free, God wants to put in place these things. Put in place this idea of rest back into them. Um, under the Egyptians, they were beaten to the ground, right? They worked tirelessly. Uh, God, when he's talking to them, he says, I've removed you from the house of what? Of slavery, of bondage. These people were, God bless you. These people were worked um, tirelessly. They worked, they worked. They didn't know rest. And now that God has freed them again, not just with commandment number four, but all of them, he's inviting them to start living as if they're already in the promised land, even now in the wilderness. Again, these are commandments to a free nation to continue to live freely. Um, so as we look at Deuteronomy chapter five now, I want you to turn there um, with me. We're gonna be looking at verse 12. This is what it says here in verse 12 as we get to commandment number four. God says, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day, the day of the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You and your sons, your daughters, or even your male servants or your female servants or your ox or your donkey or your um, livestock or the or sojourner um, who is within your gates that, your male, uh, that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So again, he gives them the command there. He gives them practical instruction on how to follow that, who it applies to, and then reminds them again why they can do this. Because he has freed them. Because they are free. And as they work, they cannot also rest in God. They can take time to rest, and he is calling them to seize their work. That's the Hebrew word there for, uh, for that is Shabbat. And they're called to rest and to enjoy God and his creation to spend a day living as if ultimate rest has already come. And it points them towards the rest that was to come in Jesus Christ. You see, God, he sanctified this seventh day because it was a gift to man. It was a gift to man uh, for rest and for replenishment, right? Because we need that we were created in that way. But also, most importantly, because the, uh, because the Sabbath is a shadow of the rest available through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It points to him. And thankfully we have the New Testament today. We have the other, the other, uh, the, the other writings of scripture. We have the fulfillment of this. Um, we have this, the life of Jesus. We know that he gave his life for us. As we look at the New Testament, we see this deeper kind of rest. We see that Jesus fulfilled the purpose and the plan for us and in us in Hebrews 9 chapter, or in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. It says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's wrath has also rested from his works as God did from his. 
So as Christians, we're not under an obligation of some law to follow a certain pattern where we have to take a specific day, have certain restrictions, observe it like the Israelites at this time, right? The, the Jewish people then in their tradition, they would carefully quantify, okay, we can do this, we, we can't do this. We can, we shouldn't. This is going to go against keeping it holy. This is prohibited. This is not. There's all these different things that they set in place. We're not necessarily um, succumb to any of those things. But I do want to encourage you and remind you that we shouldn't lose or we don't lose the Sabbath. Um, we're free from that legal obligation from the Sabbath, but we should not ignore the importance of a day of rest. Remember again, God has created you and I and all of us with that in mind. Created us in need for rest. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you work. Your name might be, I don't know, you, you could be someone like, I don't know, think of the hardest worker you know, LeBron James. Uh, what's that dude's name that runs around all the time? Um, that guy, Forrest Gump. You might be the hardest worker you know, but you burn out. You're not made to, to keep pushing and, and going without resting. It's not just a physical rest either. Here we see that it's much deeper than that. Stay with me here. This is important for all of us. As Christians, we're not bound to observe days, months, years, weeks, right? All these festivities that are around this uh, custom. But instead, we can rest in Christ. We can enter into an experience with him every single day, not just one day a week. The rest of knowing that we don't have to save ourselves to working towards our salvation. We don't have to do that. We were freed from that. We can rest in the work, the saving work of Jesus. You can find that through his accomplishment. And, and God, although he does not need a day off, man needs to rest Man needs to see God rest so that they know that they can enter into it by the finished work of Christ. When we believe in Christ and the gospel, we rest from our works. The great burden of having to prove ourselves and having to earn our salvation is lifted from us. And furthermore, because of his resurrection, we not only have rest in him, but we also have this expectation again of this future rest that's to come. We know that this isn't it. We know that there is more to come and we can find rest in this promise of God, this future rest. Right? We can experience that deeper rest now, but it only will be completely realized in the new earth, in the new heaven, when he comes back and reestablishes his kingdom. Now, this is something that we have talked about in the Advent series, right? And we've seen people living in expectation, living in hope. And we're supposed to live that same way, right? We say it all the time, Maranatha, to live in expectation. To find rest in Jesus, but also find rest in the fact that he will come back. And all the things that kind of prohibit us from experiencing rest now will be pushed away. A lot of us are restless because we always have to keep going, moving, doing, working. We feel insufficient. We, we struggle with self-sufficiency. We think we have to earn, perhaps, favor. But no, here, 
Although we can't experience it in its fullness, we can still have a real taste of rest now in Jesus. My encouragement to you this morning is to set apart a day, set apart a time. For, uh, you know, and that's apart from your daily devotional. But set apart a time in your week to find rest. To just rest in Jesus. Come to him and, and rest. And I'll, and I'll explain what that looks like in just a second. But I'll tell you why it's important. We're like cars, right? Imagine if you have a car. Most of you are starting to drive now. I just want to warn you now. If you just keep driving, you'll either first run out of gas. You somehow get gas. And your car is maybe powered by the sun. You're going you're gonna to break your engine because you haven't gotten oil put in your car. And you haven't done regularly scheduled maintenance checks. And you're just pushing and trying to make your car move forward without any attention to it. Some of us are like people that just keep pushing their car, doing things that they shouldn't. And, and it shows. You think you can hide it, but it shows. We need to maintain and care in that way. And the way we do that is finding rest. And how we find rest is going to God. Because everything else that you try to rest in, nothing else will provide you that rest that you're looking for. Nothing else satisfies and nothing else can give you rest like God can. I want you to know as well that rest is not limited to a day. Rest, obviously, as we see in the Sabbath, taking a day out of our schedule is important. And I encourage you to do that. But also know, and this is a beautiful thing about Jesus coming and fulfilling the purpose of this, is that we have access to God whenever now. You don't have to wait a day to come to God with the burdens of your life. You can come to him whenever. If you're in need of rest, God has an abundance of rest. It's not a limited supply. He's not like a, a reverse Chick-fil-A where he's open every He's closed every day, but only open on Sundays. He is always available to give you rest. He's always readily available to take your burdens upon himself. If you read um, Genesis chapter 1, I think it, it talks about this in some way, and I think it's really interesting and fascinating how, it, how it's laid out here, this narrative, this description of creation. If you look at the first chapter in Genesis 1, every day that goes by, Every single day is marked by one phrase. It says this at the end. And there was evening and there was morning, the blank day, the first day. And that kind of concludes that day. It goes on to say, and on the second day, God created this, that, third day, this and that, fourth day, this and that. And every single day that passes, it says, and in evening, and there was evening and there was morning. And that was the first, second, third, fourth, all the way to the sixth. And then we get to the seventh day. And it doesn't say that phrase. Every single day is accounted for except the seventh one. And I think that's an amazing picture for us of what rest can look like for us. The rest that God offers you. It's not a certain day that it's limited to. You gotta get in your plea. You gotta get in that prayer before the sun goes down again on that day. No, he is always readily available God's providing through his son this eternal Sabbath for you.
for his people. And that invitation is open to you today. When Jesus is speaking uh, in, in his ministry, he says one of the things I think is one of the most impactful things that he says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a call for those who are burdened, for those that know and and realize that they have to come to him rather than be self-sufficient. And that invitation stands open today for you and for me. And he promises here, and he assures us of this promise, that he will carry our burdens with us. Burdens that if bore alone would be unbearable. That would suffocate us. And some of us feel that, are feeling that this morning. Carrying the world on your back, trying to do it out of your own can't find rest because you haven't turned to God and yet he says if you come to him it can be easy and light and when Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 11 he is not talking about uh, when he talks about yoke being easy right he's not talking about an egg I just want to make sure I clarify that Um, I don't know if many of you are familiar with this Um, idea um, of of a yoke or what it is. Um, But this is something that you might be familiar with if your family is, you know, I guess part of or does agriculture stuff. I don't even know, to be fair, if this is something that they use today, but I do know for a fact they use it back in the day. And so contextually speaking, this made perfect sense to them. And this is why Jesus says it this way. But a yoke is really this wooden bar, this wooden frame. Um, that they would use, um, farmers would use, in order to combine or put together by the head and the neck these two animals together to work together for a singular purpose. I think I have a picture of it on the screen, if the screen happens to work at some point. There it is. That's what a yoke is. You see those, that thing that combines those two ox together? That's what a yoke is. Now, what is the significance of what Jesus is saying here? What is the point of that when he talks about giving his burdens to him. Let me explain. Farmers, they would take that when they were training a new animal and they would take a young animal and pair them with an older, stronger, more experienced ox. And that way, that ox would bear most of the burden. And what he would do is lead and guide the younger, inexperienced ox. What God is saying here, or Jesus, better yet, is saying here, he is saying that his yoke is easy. And the word there for easy in the Greek is um, to be well fit. It's well fitted. It's tailor made. Just like these farmers would tailor make these for the ox, this thing is tailor made. It's well fitted and it fits comfortably. What Jesus is calling people to is not to say, hey, live a lazy life. I got it. I'll take care of everything. Don't worry. This is not an an indulgent life that Jesus says, when you come to me, you can just be lazy and not have to do anything. That ox is still, right, still doing something. (laughs) The other one is bearing most of the burden, but he's still there. He's 
he's in it with the other one. And he's also working. And he's also uh, carrying some of that burden upon himself. However, as Jesus says, he will bear that burden and carry it. And with him, it will be easy and light. Jesus' yoke is easy. It's not because um, it makes it, he makes any lighter demands on you. But the reason it's lighter is because we've entered into a relationship with him. And if you have a burden upon your shoulders, if it is difficult for you, if you've been struggling, you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, know that in Jesus you can find rest. And he is inviting you to do that. Quickly here, just to end, the fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. And I'll conclude with this because this is pretty straightforward. Um, but it's Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Honor your father and your mother and the Lord God. Um, as the Lord God commanded you, that your days may be long. That you may go well with you in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. This is the only command that comes along with a promise, but... Again, this is straightforward, respecting, honoring your father and mother. That's essential. Um, it's an essential building block for stability and health for any society. Um, and the same goes for these people here, and the same goes for us today, right? Any, any younger generation that's strifing with or at odds with an older generation is just going to cause destruction. And, and time and time again, God points us to this idea. And in the book of Proverbs, we see it happen over and over again. Hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And that's just one example. There's many other. But for some reason, we find it difficult to obey this, to adhere to this command. Even though it seems very clear-cut and straightforward, we struggle to honor, respect, and, and to follow this. And that's not just our generation. It's every generation. But why is that? Maybe you might not realize God calls you to honor your father and mother. Maybe you don't even realize that was a thing, that you had to do that, that it was so important. Most of us do know that, though. Some of us, maybe we struggle with this because we don't care. Or maybe we say to ourselves, well, they didn't do the same. They didn't treat their parents with honor and respect. Why should I respect them? Or maybe most, mostly a lot of us in here perhaps have taken this perspective, but they said, well, they haven't treated me the way I want to be treated, so why should I do the same? The real, the real fact is that we should treat them with honor and respect because God calls us to. And it's not just because there's a promise attached to this command saying that we will live long lives, but instead, we can follow this command if we keep the number one command that God gives, and that's prioritizing him and putting him number one. And let me quickly explain why that is and we'll finish. As a kid, right, as a child, you're commanded to obey and we're still commanded to obey. As an adult, you're commanded to respect your parents. But yet the gospel reminds us that God is our father and by grace we have been brought into his family and that he is a primary source of love in our lives. If we have a relationship, he is number one and he is the one as our primary relationship, who allows us, who enables us to love and honor our parents well. Why? Because we no longer are looking to them to find what we have already found in God, our Heavenly Father. Let me, let me just put it this way. A lot of us, we look at our parents with expectation. A lot of us, the biggest thing, the most frequently asked questions that we ask our parents is essentially this, 
what are you going to give me? That's all we think about is, hey, what are you going to give me? How am I going to benefit from you? What are you offering me? Hey, can I do this? Can I do that? What happens when they say no? We're irate, furious. We get mad. We just want, want, want. What happens when they can't offer us those things anymore? Do we just discard them? When you leave, when you grow up and you don't need them for those things anymore, do you just forget about them? Unfortunately, what happens is a lot of the times that's the case. And listen, I don't want to diminish anybody's relationships here with their parents. I don't want to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. I'm, I'm just pointing you to what God says. Some of us are in privileged situations at home. Some of us, not so much. But I do want to just tell you this. Regardless of any circumstance that you're in with your family and where you're at in your life, this is true. God, your heavenly Father, offers you a love that is perfect, that nobody else can, not even your family, no one. He is the only one that neither leaves you nor forsakes you. And if you find those things, the, the things that you need, that you demand from your family, if you're finding that and receiving that from God instead of other people, then you can look at your family and look at others and not say, hey, what are you gonna give me? What are you gonna give me? You're already getting everything you need from God. All you do now is you look at others with the perspective of what can I do for them? How can I honor them? How can I respect these people? Because you don't not, you're not dependent on them because you're already dependent on God. And he provides you everything. If that's the case, if he's number one in your life, and he's the chief relationship in your life, he allows you to do this. He allows you to respect and honor your family. Changes everything. Last thing here, just in closing, just a statement. A different day, a different relationship. That's the application. If you can remember one word, remember this, different. It's a different day and a different relationship. The Sabbath is a different day. A day of rest. Prioritize rest in your life. Make a habit of finding rest. Rejuvenate your souls with fellowship through prayer and devotion, through worship every week. Find rest in Jesus. Make a, make a time for a different day in your life. Get out of your habits. Get out of your rhythms and find time to rest in Jesus. And also another thing that's different is your relationship with your parents. Your parents are not your friends. They're not the way that you, you know, and that what I mean by that is the way you speak with your friends, the way you talk with your friends, all the, the banter that happens, right? You can have that relationship with your, your, your family, right? You can be friends, and we should aspire to that, but your parents are your parents. There has to be a level of respect that accompanies that and obedience and honor. It's not because they told you to. It's not because I'm telling you to. It's what God tells us to do. And the way we can do that despite the hurt sometimes that we might face, sometimes even our own stubbornness, is by looking to God. It's by making him number one in our lives. We can then honor those in our lives. A different day, a different relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this time. Thank you for this um, um, time to open up the word of God and be able to challenge ourselves to find rest in you, to make time to prioritize our relationship with you. Um, so that one, we can find rest and, and come to you with all the burdens that we may carry on our own, Lord, and realize we don't have to do that, but also, Lord, in prioritizing our relationship with you, Lord, that we might know how to treat others, especially, Lord, in honoring and obeying our families, Lord, our parents.
Knowing that, Lord, if we receive all the things that we so much demand from our family, Lord, the, to, the attention, pride, Lord, we receive that in you. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that that in turn might help us to uh, honor and obey uh, our family members. Lord, we thank you again just for everything you've done in our lives and continue to do in our hearts. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.